A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So another Christmas story, we're going to go back to Jacksonville, Florida, uh, where we lived for a few years, uh, Jacksonville Beach. I'm in elementary school, second grade. The school is having their Christmas play. Uh, my brother Mike, who was one year younger than me, uh, we were born on the same day, um, was the star of the Christmas play. So uh, the Christmas play was about how the bells had stopped ringing in the churches in town and the bells were not ringing, and so it required uh, someone to give a gift that would cause the bells to ring. Now, pretty simple play, and obviously public school, so it's disguising uh, what you will see as the imagery of the gospel in it, but 
Anyway, um, so all the people are invited to come and bring gifts uh, to the Christ child on this particular Christmas in hope that one gift might uh, really cause the bells to ring everywhere. So, uh, so my brother Mike is sort of toward the end of all the people and you see people bringing these gifts and children bringing gifts and all this. Uh, but my brother Mike um, walks up and he's carrying his teddy bear. Now, the story is a teddy bear, but knowing my brother Mike, he loved his teddy bear. <laughs> it was his snuggly. It was the thing that he went to bed with every night. And so I'm sitting now in the second grade, I'm already a tough kid, you know. I'm the king of the hill. I don't cry, you know. And so I'm kind of sitting there going, this is cute. Um, and so uh, anyway, so Mike walks up to uh, the altar. He takes his teddy bear. He kind of hugs it. And then, and then he just gingerly lays the teddy bear down on the altar. And at that point, the bells start ringing. <laughs> the bells just go bonkers. It's just, it was so loud in that gym that day. But I just remember my eyes went, and I'm crying like a baby, you know. I, I'm just crying like I'll get out. And, and I, I didn't even know what was happening, but all of a sudden I had this wave of emotion and tears. And so I kind of tried to collect myself. I'm walking back to my class in a line with the other uh, students in my class. And Billy, who was sort of the bully of our class, said, hey, Clyde, I saw you crying, you know, <laughs> in the Christmas play, which in the spirit of Christ, I turned around and punched him in the stomach as hard as I could. He was crying, I was crying. We both ended up in the principal's office again. And, uh, and you go, well, you know, what, what happened to you that day? Well, I'll give you a little bit more of the story. Uh, my dad grew up in a small town in South Carolina. Most of his friends were African American. I grew up at a home where I was blessed to have parents who loved people of color, taught me to love people of color. Uh, and uh, that's part of my, my father's story. But when I was born, I was named after my grandfather, Clyde, and my mother went down to kind of recover and stay with my uh, grandfather, Clyde, my grandmother, Essie, there in this small town in South Carolina. My mom was there and recovering uh, from my birth, and uh, one day she heard a knocking at the back door. And the knocking at the back door was fairly gentle, but usually when somebody comes to your back door, that means they can't come to your front door. And my mom goes to the back door, and there's this huge African-American man standing there, smiling, and think Green Mile kind of character, you know, he's standing there, and, and he says, he says, Miss Godwin, now, again, uh, African-Americans couldn't come back to the front door in 1950, whatever, 51, and so he's standing at the back door, and he says, Miss Godwin, I'm here to see Jimmy's boy. Now my dad's name is Jim. And she said, he said, could I see Jimmy's boy? And so at that point, uh, my mom says, well, sure. And she brings me out. And so this big African-American guy takes me into his arms and just starts walking off through the backyard. And my mom's kind of watching him. And my mom says, I could tell he was singing over you. He was carrying you and he was singing to you. And he was praying over you. So why the burst of tears in that Christmas play is that when you begin to realize God in your story is even though you're not at a place maybe where you could say, I believe that this story is real for me, 
God is regenerating your heart. God's moving in your heart. And so even as a second grader, when I saw this picture of sacrificial love through my brother, giving up the thing he loved the most for everybody, the bells start ringing. I just burst into tears. An answer to God's plan, which I can see back now when I was a young baby, carried by this big African-American guy, singing over me, praying to me, for me, um, uh, to come to know the Savior. Um, last week, we looked at the Annunciation where the angel appears to Mary and greets her with these words, Don't be afraid, for you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, to understand that, let's review. I can say this to each one of you who has a relationship with Jesus today, from the youngest to the oldest, you are highly favored. Why is that true? It's because God has given you the gift of his grace through his son, that although you know the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life, that the end of the story is that we'll be together with God forever and ever, but before the foundation of the world, God set his affection upon you. You are highly favored if you know Jesus. So highly favored. And the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And so Mary, again, insignificant young woman, living in Nazareth, sort of a hick town, no-name town. Nobody wanted to live in Nazareth. Here she is. She's going to be given the gift of delivering into the world our Savior, and again, obviously, she's very troubled. She has a friend at Elizabeth that she's going to go hang out with um, and find out about John the Baptist. She has community. And you kind of watch her progression as she begins to hear and understand what she had learned growing up uh, in the synagogue, learning the stories, learning about grace, learning about God's favor. And so we see Mary going from being greatly troubled and disturbed by the message of Christmas for her personally to her saying, be it unto me according to your word. I am the Lord's bondservant. Now again, one of the ways you can know you're a follower of Jesus is your heart is to love him and to serve him. But for Mary, she knew that the way up is down, but she knew for God to be glorified in her life, she had to get low. And when she says, I am your bondservant, she's saying, I'm the lowest of the low servants, but I want the word of God to be fulfilled in my life. Many of you are struggling today, and then Christmas is a hard time for everybody. It brings out all these things. But God has set in motion a word for us truths for us, promises for us to claim so that we respond to whatever struggle you're in right now to say, God, be unto me, your servant, your daughter, your son, according to what your word reveals. Well, in this text, uh, verse 10 in Luke 2 is part of my personal mission statement. And my mission statement has in there that I am called to bring the good news of great joy to people to show the heart of God the Father through Jesus the Son. It's part of my mission statement. So we're right here in my sweet spot, you know, my wheelhouse. It's like throwing a softball up to me going, all right, here we go. And uh, recently I was... Uh, at a gathering of people on our street, and it was not a Christian gathering. It's one of these street parties that my neighborhood's famous for. And I'm talking to this guy who is an amazing 
a photographer. Um, he has a gallery there called The Bridge. You could go look it up online. And uh, Greg is probably 73 uh, years old. I'm 70. And he's just full of life. He represents all these photographers. He travels the world. He just won some big international award. Hangs there in the gallery there on Pemberton Street, um, right there at the corner of Mass Ave and Pemberton. Um, and he's talking to me, and he's so passionate. He's so inspired about his photography, his art. And at some point, he just looked at me, and, I, and he's just on a roll, telling me all the things that he's excited about doing. He says, Clyde, at my stage of life, I'm swinging for the fences. I'm swinging for the fences. And for those of you who are not in sports world, <laughs> that means you're standing up there going, I'm swinging for the fence. I'm swinging for that green monster. You know, I'm going to knock it over the green monster. And that's when your life is filled with the passion of Christmas. You want to reach and grab everything that's out there for yourself to share with others. And that's what this feeling of joy looks like. So let's put ourselves in the context um, of what's going on with Joseph and Mary. So here's, here they are. They're not even married yet. You talk about a scandalous trip. So uh, again, another time I'll have to tell you about one of my scandalous trips, but I'm not going to go down that buddy trail right now uh, where I was traveling with a woman that was not married. We were good friends, but there was nothing going on. So anyway, not, not to worry, okay? Uh, but here is this scandalous trip, you know? that Joseph, because the angels met with him, reassured him it's okay, he's with him. Joseph, because he was an honorable man, he and Mary have to go together about 70 miles south to Bethlehem. They have to travel. You can imagine walking uh, 70 miles uh, with a woman who's nine months pregnant. Um, and so he makes the trip. They get there. Uh, and we see what unfolds here in this place. But why are they going there? Well, Again, think about the hard circumstances that are going on in your life right now. Maybe your work is so demanding and you're just being crushed. You're being asked to work 24-7, bricks without straw. It's just so hard right now. Or there might be hard things going on in your family. There sure are a lot of hard things going on in our world. I'm a part of the Cambridge Pastors Prayer Fellowship. And uh, I would not even have thought about this or been alerted to how great the struggle is in Ethiopia right now. Um, and this pastor who's Ethiopian uh, was sharing with our group some of the things going on in Ethiopia. I would have had no idea how difficult the world is in Ethiopia right now for believers. Why is God allowing these things to happen? How is God going to use it? What is God doing? So you can imagine finding out that not only do you have to travel with somebody who's not really, shouldn't be traveling, things are really hard, but you're having to travel because you're going to have to pay more taxes. Now, down south, when people get upset, is if you raise their property tax at all, you know, you're going to get ousted, you know, from the city government, city manager, whatever, is that if you want to get people riled up, just say, hey, guess what? You get to pay more taxes. And a matter of fact, you're going to have to travel to register so we can make sure we get those taxes from you. 
So, I, you know, Joseph is a godly man, but I'm sure he was not a happy camper. I'm sure there was a grumpiness for both of them, like, why in the world is this going on? Now, they had some sense of the biblical fulfillment of prophecy, but you've got to love uh, the scriptures here. But also to see what's going on uh, in the Roman Empire at this point. The Pax Romana. Some of you have been to Rome, you've known, you've seen this big sort of picture of when Rome was Roman, it ruled the world, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So you got that going on here. You have Caesar Augustus. Now, Augustus, the word means holy. So Caesar, the holy one. Okay, does that sound a little bit familiar, like a little bit engaging? Caesar is Lord, the Roman people portrayed themselves as the savior of the world the Caesar did so all this imagery that's going on here is really setting the stage for the disruption and the upheaval that Jesus is going to bring when he talks about peace for the whole world when he talks about being the prince of peace when he is the Lord and savior but you see how all this thing is orchestrated being orchestrated by God in a way to reveal Jesus now, it's really hard when life is very difficult and very hard to see where is God in that. But one of the things I always try and help people to see, and I need to see, is that when things are very difficult, we have a great Heavenly Father who's always painting on a bigger canvas than we can see. There are always things in play that you and I are, can't understand it, but if we could, it would start to make some sense, not sense that we might be satisfied, but we would know that God is in it. And that's where Emmanuel, God is with us. And so Rome really sets the stage for all of this to be fulfilled in God's word. Uh, for Mary and Joseph and for us, Rome seems to think that they're in control. They're setting that in motion. And wow, um, how does that work? Um, lots of stories I could tell. One of my favorite stories I could share with you is that um, when I went to be the pastor of Valerie and I of Hope Presbyterian Church uh, in 2007, one of the families I got to know right away is a neat couple. He's an elder in the church. He's a leader in the church, Jeannie and John Lenham. And they were in our community group. We called them our fellowship groups. Uh, and as I got to know them, I got to know their daughter, Claire. Now, we have a daughter, Claire, uh, and they have three other children. But Claire was a special needs child. So when Claire was three years old, uh, she was, it was actually, I think, around her birthday. But anyway, she sneezes and turns to Jeannie and says, God bless me. And right at that point, uh, Claire had a seizure. Um, and that began and continues to this day is that Claire, right at that point at three, was arrested with ongoing seizures for the rest of her life. And so her emotionally, physically, everything is kind of like stuck there. I mean, she's grown. She's physically 21-year-old now, uh, but she's still a three-year-old. And Claire and I have a lot of fun. Like when I see her, I'll go, hey, Claire, and she'll point at me. She can't speak, but uh, one of the things you can do to her is I'll poke her on the chest and go, Claire, and then she'll poke me on the chest and she'll smile at me. Um, but I've had the joy for 10 years of being very close and intimately involved in the Lenham's family. So, 
Um, uh, as we began to grow together and I began to watch Jeannie grieve because she had women in the church whose daughters were growing up and going on to high school, going to prom, uh, going on to college, and Claire was such a burden for them as a, and still is such a burden to take care of her, to wrestle her to bed, carry her to bed, just everything you have to do for a special needs child. But as Jeannie and I got to know each other, and I watched how the miracle of God's joy and story and her story helped her love her daughter. Um, I was at a gathering for the Presbyterian Church of America. It's all the ministries that our denominations involved in. And one caught my eye was this. It was um, a ministry that's developed throughout the country, throughout not only the PCA, but other churches, that minister to family who have children with special needs. And so at this particular conference, I uh, talked to the woman at the sort of conference table. I said, tell me more. We sat down together. And while this woman is talking to me, she tells me about how she went to a church where she brought her daughter, who was severely handicapped, to the church. And they were ready to greet them and take care of their daughter while they could go to worship service. And as I was talking to her, I just said, tell me more, tell me more. So I go back to our home in North Carolina. I sit down with Jeannie and I say, Jeannie, what would you think about uh, starting a ministry for other families in our community that have special needs children? What would you think about that? Now, you got to love Jeannie. She's a no-nonsense, like, don't mess with me kind of woman, you know? So you don't tease Jeannie. But anyway, um, so, but we started talking initially. She was like, really? <laughs> do you know how hard my life is? Do you know what it, do you have any clue, Clyde, what it's like for me to carry for my special needs? Do you know how brokenhearted I am by what I see other moms experiencing with their daughters? And I have none of that. And but again, because I know the message of the gospel, I know how God was working in Jeannie's life, we started talking, said, let's pray, let's talk about it. So we're going to fast forward right now. We're going to fast forward. If you were to go to Hope Church today and you have a special needs child, you could contact the church. Jeannie, who's the head of a ministry called Hope Springs, we have designated space. You show up with your special needs handicapped child. Uh, and you're going to be introduced to somebody who's your buddy for your child, who takes your child so that both of you can sit together and worship. Now, again, we say, well, that's a big deal. <laughs> because if you have a special needs child, one, you might not even go to church. If you do, only a husband or a wife can go. And it's all, church is always just a nightmare of getting in and out of church. So you can imagine over the years as this ministry has grown at Hope Church, how, again, this message of good news of great joy that we're going to get to here in just a second, this message of Christ incarnate in a group of people, is, is that you're going to show up as David and uh, Linda showed up at our church one day with their special needs son, Daniel. Daniel, uh, severely handicapped, uh, could barely walk, a lot of strength from his uh, waist up, great smile. Um, he shows up at church, but I meet his dad, David, who's just ticked. You know, he's just angry. He's angry at God. He's angry at the world. 
His dad, he grew up in Maine. His dad was a pastor, got run out of the church. I mean, David had a litany of everything. Like, why should I trust and love God? You know, why is that even possible? You know, how is that even going to happen? Well, for the first time ever, they get to go to church. He sits with his wife. He sits there. He's hearing me preach about grace and he's enjoying the worship. And if you've ever been in church and some of you are doing it right now, do you have a little kid who keeps you distracted? <laughs> and maybe some of you have big kids that are keeping you distracted with their phones, but I'm not going to go there. Anyway, so, um, and, and it's just distract. It's hard for you to be present. I mean, under the preaching and the ministry of the word of God, I saw David come alive to God's love for him. Now, one of the things, if you're sitting in the service with Daniel, uh, who, again, he is growing and uh, amazing smile. Whenever we sing in worship um, and Daniel sort of hears the sound, hears the rhythm, he loves the sound of drums. He would love hearing Ambrose beat that drum. He'll just shoot his hands straight up. <laughs> You know, which in, among Presbyterians, that's scary, you know. Uh, so uh, his hands would just go straight up in worship. But folks, because hope springs exist. Now again, this, I'm, I'm weaving this story for you to say, why is the message of Christmas so beautiful and so true? It's because a woman took on the responsibility and the joy of giving away what God had given to her as she cared for her special needs daughter a ministry called Hope Springs. We just sang a hymn, and if you've never sung it before, or you just want to kind of zero in here, because the angel announces to the shepherds and says, there is good news of great joy. Now, what does that joy mean? Well, George Matheson, who wrote the hymn, says, it's the joy that seeks me through the pain. And here's where I want to invite all of you today. Where is your heart broken? Where is the pain? Where does it hurt? Where do you feel deeply sadness or loss or grief or anger or frustration? There is a joy that comes from heaven which is pursuing you vigorously, lovingly, tenderly to draw you out of that pain into the presence of what it means to know the good news that God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with you. This is the message of the story, and it's to shepherds. I mean, oh my goodness, the shepherds were, and to use the language down south, they were the pond scum. They were the unlovable people. People that, you know, we tend to sanitize Christmas and make it this wonderful story. Shepherds were hated. They were always on the night shift. They were accused of all kinds of bad stuff. So again, if you want something to grab you today, it's just realize that not only has God sort of submitted himself and invested in this young teenage girl, Mary, now he's going to go to the people who were scum to that society, the shepherds. Where does the angel show up? He shows up to them at night and he shines a great light. Now, again, just to encourage you about Christmas is that you might be sit, sitting here thinking, I, I don't have much light. The light I have is not that great. But man, the light that I do see is painful. There's a light greater than the light than you can see. Um, maybe you've had this experience where sometimes things really do seem dark or impossible. And all of a sudden there's a light. There's an explosion of light in your mind, your imagination. And Jesus is revealing his great light. 
In Psalm 36, we read, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. That same light is available for you and me to experience and to see. As I've worked with people and watched people work, again, the same thing that happened to David with his disabled son is that the light of Jesus began to burn so bright, began to be so real, that to see the transformation of David's story over months and working and praying with him, it is the glory, it is the bright light that's shining this Christmas for you and me. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice this imagery. Paul says, Jesus who said, let there be light, there was light. And now Paul says, God has shown into your heart and my heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. In your imagination, when Jesus looks towards you, when you look towards him, what do you see? What do you see in the face of Jesus? Hopefully what you'll see is tenderness and compassion and love. But think about what it would have been like to be at Christmas time looking at the baby Jesus. Think if you're a shepherd and you're told to go find him in a manger. Now for the shepherd, that's a safe place. They're used to mangers. What if they'd been saying, go into the end? They couldn't have gotten in the end. Think of how God, the master storyteller, orchestrator, maestro of all that is beautiful and rich, he sets it up so the shepherds can walk right in the manger and feel right at home. My friend, if you know Jesus Christ and you come to this table today, you feel right at home because you know what the bread represents. You know what the cup represents. The body and blood of our Savior who wants to feed us with this good news of great joy that will not let us go. God is with us in abundance. This morning, will you open your hearts wide? Will you make room in your heart? Not only make room, just say, Jesus, come in. You can have a whole house. I want to give you my whole heart. And if you want to know, what does it mean to, to have a relationship with Jesus? It's opening your heart to him and say, Jesus, come in and take over. Forgive me that I have held you away for so long. I've stiff-armed you. I've denied you. But my friend, the reason why you're listening right now there have been people in your story who have prayed over you, have prayed for you, who think about you and want you to know the greatest thing you'll ever know is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who is now your great good shepherd. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the thrill of knowing the truth that sets us free. And we pray this Christmas, it will be like no other that we will experience together the thrill and the wonder of what it means to know this good news of great joy that you promised us. Amen.